There's more to ease. Financial District Home Office. Now that's it. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered what became of Joe and me. We're living on the Eric Carnival Personnel. Carnival Personal Podcast CPP. Listen to Jacques and Comparant Yapping. While Joe can quote a movie line by line. They may have no idea what they're talking about. But all in all, they still sound pretty fine. It's Carnival Personnel, the CP Podcast. Hey guys, it's Dante with another Dante's Comedy Tips. And today I want to wish stand-up comedy a happy 100th birthday. Now, no one knows the exact date it started, but it probably started in the 1920s, coming out of vaudeville, when... People were separated from all the other acts and they had to continue making money. Today's lesson is learn your history. Learn your history. A lot of uh, new comics out there have pointed out pictures in comedy clubs to me and said, who's that? I'm like, that's Lenny Bruce. Who's that? That's Richard Pryor. If you don't know who Richard Pryor is, you probably shouldn't do stand-up, okay? I'm gonna recommend that you check out Richard Pryor, Mom's Mabley, Red Fox, uh, Lenny Bruce, how's that? How about George Carlin? How about Bill Hicks, Sam Kennison, Chris Rock? I don't know, Dave Chappelle? On and on and on. Bob Hope, you need to learn your history. Find out who these people were. Go watch uh, reruns of BET's Comic View and Def Jam and any comedy special you can get your hands on. Learn the history of comedy. Go watch Bernie Mac. Go see how this is supposed to be done, you guys. This is a great business, but the only way to grow is to learn your history, to see what people have done before you. And, and it's okay to steal, not jokes, but essence. You know what I mean? It's okay to take pieces. I wanna do impressions. I wanna tell a political, I wanna do this kind of joke. When you find what you like, or you see like Chris Rock doing like a double entendre and a big callback, and you're like, I wanna do those, then do it. But that's what you learn when you watch people better than you, when you learn your history. Happy, happy 100 years, stand-up comedy. Oh, click, oh, click. Hello, and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. I'm Jacques. I'm Joe. And uh, Joe, for a long time, I've been saying I was going to try to get this guy on the podcast for so many reasons and maybe get him on the podcast for many reasons. He is a 30 plus year touring international comic who is way, way, way too funny, uh, who's also married to, despite what Jerry Lewis says, a very, very, very funny female comic. Um, I agree. <laughs> they run a very large production company, manages a lot of talent. So we could talk stand-up. We could talk managing. We could talk production. We can talk what it's like to be married to a comic. We can also talk, and this is another reason that I really, really admire this guy, uh, an absolute 
real in the trenches social justice warrior not a not a guy like me who has a black life matter sign and take his kids to a george floyd you know uh protest but somebody who like batman without the billion dollars in the mask patrols the streets of hollywood for years documenting the absolute horrid thuggish I, you know a gestapo you can keep going down the list behavior of the lapd he has hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage that he's taken to the mayor whoever the mayor happens to be who he's taken to you know the police commissioner whoever the police commissioner has to be he's taken it to the la times i mean truly he has had the shit kicked out of him by proud boys in front of the lapd uh, he's had the, you know, he's been more than roughed up by the LAPD a few times. So there's so much stuff I want to get to. So let's start and welcome uh, Dante the comic. Oh, wow. That's so crazy. None of that was my credit. I think you have the wrong person. Oops. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, I, I knew Twitter was lying. No. So, so uh, after, after that long introduction, that's, that's the only reason I said that. So that was very nice of you. What a, what a very nice introduction. Thank well, you so much. Well, here's, here's the weird thing that doesn't make sense about you you're from florida you're a no. millet no but you lived in florida you have family in florida your dad's not from florida you're, you're, he's never visited florida you, like you don't know what psychics. you're talking about you know one of those psychics that are like oh, yes yes, from florida. yes it starts with a j <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's, it's a g that has a j no, sound he, no he, he's watched good <laughs> times you know starring florida I grew up in a place worse than Florida. It's called Ridgecrest, California. So. Okay, right. I don't know why the floor, but you spent time on military bases. You bet I have. I have spent my whole life on military bases. That is correct. And, I, and um, yeah. you don't associate somebody, and I hate to say it, growing up in the 70s and 80s on a military base to be, uh, and, and let's just, hold on, I want to Liberal. check my notes. You're white. So you're white and a military base, and yet you're in the streets fighting for people who don't look like us. Yeah, man. I think it's because just like you, I feel like we all just, you know, are, I'm trying to do the right thing. That's all. I'm never, I'm never going out of my way to do something wrong. I'm never looking for a fight. I don't punch anybody. I don't do anything like that. I just, if I see injustice, I film it and I call them out on it while I'm filming. Rather than just filming George Floyd, I probably would have kicked the cop in the face and gone to jail for it, but George would be alive. You know, so what? Big deal. Well, At least I, I saved a life. When I see your footage, you're 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 not an instigator. You're you're not a protoc, uh, provocateur. You are right. standing the legal limit away. You, you're not impeding their ability to do their job. Correct. But they will come out. You have one clip, and I don't know what the poor fucker was doing. He's at a gas station. He's cuffed. It's two in the morning, and I think you counted. 28 cops right and they already caught him right they already caught him and they're still there and the helicopter and more cops keep showing up you know it's like it really is out of control here in la you could call right now the lapd and no one shows up really for hours and then you know i have a videotape where a black guy stole a bike from a guy yep. and really like 20 police cars showed up a helicopter for a hundred dollar bike now we just spent $40,000 for that hour to have that many police and helicopters show up for a $100 bike. Not that I don't want them to take the bike. 
or get the bike back, but it only takes one cop to do so. It's and, and you know I really wish my friend Biff because you know Biff's my goalie. Uh, he lives in Simi Valley, and um, and 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 he knows all this. He see I come out a couple times a year. So we we moved out of LA in, in 2014. I come back two or three times a year, and he has a cookout every time I come back for our hockey buddies. And it was a couple years ago, and a couple of guys went with me. It's when ICE was starting to just go to the Spanish neighborhoods and just round people up, you know. And and we just drove over and the same thing, not looking for a fight, but just. You letting people know you don't have to talk to these people, and I've seen you do that kind of stuff. I just can't. Im- I mean, there's no reason you do this. You, you you don't get any fame for it. And in fact, we, we found out that you know whatever political site you're dug in on, you're going to alienate other people by wearing your nice politics. You know, most most people don't think about that. You know, I'm I'm out there and I'm filming for justice. I'm filming because I saw something. That looked bad. And it's not always black people. It's white people. It's anyone. Anyone that, you know, right. that I see the police doing something wrong or, you know, whatever it might be. I remember yelling at some a group of police that were putting a man on a stretcher. And it was like at the beginning of COVID when none of us had an idea of how you die from it. None of it, you know. And they were like touching him without masks and, and breathe. You know what I mean? And it was just yeah. like, come on, guys. And there was a mandate. So it's like not everything is this big deal. But if it if it seems like, you know, something I step in and. I'm glad that you said that because it is hard because my wife hates all of it. She does. Why would she like it? She thinks I'm, she's proud of me, but she's even the one after, after the police let proud boys hit me. And then after the police, um, they put motor oil in my last car's gas tank to kill me, you know? So, and I know that it's them because here's what happened the day before, um, some cops had written me out a ticket while I was filming them and drove away from me. And I, I knew that they were going to go put some ticket on my car. And I was parked legally in, in, in a, like a private parking lot. It was a, you know, it was owned by someone else. You can't be ticketed there unless you, you know, I don't know what you're parked in 50 spots. I was parked legally in a private lot and they went over and they left a ticket on my car. Luckily I caught them while I was filming and I ran up and I yelled at them and they drove on a sidewalk and laughed at me and blah, blah, blah. But when I went back and looked at the ticket, they had written that I was parked blocks away, backwards, illegally, in front of the police station. And when I filed reports, um, the police said, no, we have footage of that. And I said, I'd like to see that footage because I was never there. It never happened. I actually showed you footage of these assholes writing me a ticket and putting it in the wrong spot. And I said, well, you know, he saw you parked there earlier that day. I said, you can't write a retro ticket. That's also right. Yep. Well, you'll also you'll have to fight that in court. Well, the problem is here in L.A., I think on TV, people believe that there is an internal affairs that investigates people here in L.A. Internal affairs does nothing. The LAPD investigates themselves and then the internal affairs looks at the report and goes, OK, I guess they took a report. We're done. Um, so so what happens in Los Angeles is every year people like me who have a videotape of the police doing something illegal. We turn in a report that report gets signed by the chief of police, Michael Moore, and whoever works at that police station that I'm reporting again. And 5,000 complaints every year come in, and out of every 5,000, they have never once found themselves guilty. Isn't that crazy? Out of 5,000 times a year? So I, you know, you know, one of one of my closest friends ever, the, the best person on the planet I've ever known, um, 
you know, we've been defensive partners for 30 years. He is like you on the, uh, but on the lawyer side and he fights his stuff all the time. Dante, I wish I didn't know half the shit I know. I'll give you one case. Well, he, he was the one and he was on all the news stories. 1986, a woman got beaten to death in her apartment in Van Nuys. It was a break in an entry, two Mexican guys, case closed. The guys, right. the woman's dad, who was a dentist in like Phoenix, Arizona, went to the police chief and said, my, my daughter's new husband, ex-girlfriend is a cop on the LAPD, who showed up at his, her office three times in the last six months saying, if I can't have him, nobody will. Let's cut to wow. four, 30 years later, and this was all, this was huge. This was Dateline, 60 Minutes, everything a few years ago. You know, uh, long story short, that, that woman was killed by an LAPD cop. She was a rookie at the time. They knew it was her. She was dating several other cops. She reported her gun missing the week after it happened. She savagely beat it. And, and I recommend and don't recommend you do the following. When they finally got her, the cop who got her had to go around the cops. He was told everybody associated with this case is retired or dead. You're only going to bring up old wounds. It's not going to bring this girl back. Forget it. He on his own went, got DNA when she threw out a coffee cup. It's something out of a movie. Um, and, and when they called her, so this is they got this woman thirty years later. Do you want to wow. guess? What, do you want to guess what that woman's job was when they finally got her? What lead detective of the Los Angeles Department Art Fraud and Forgery Department? She was still a decorated cop and the guy who busted her had to share an office like he was in a detective pool with this woman's husband and so that's why they didn't want her and you can see this on youtube they call her and say we got one of your suspects come down and and, and question him and when she has to, so she has to take off her gun before entering the room it's all on youtube she enters the room wow. and she realizes the empty chair is on the wrong side of the table where she's supposed to sit. And she says to them, you figured it out. Hmm. Statue of limitation. They can't sue the police department. You can, a cop can kill somebody. You know what I mean? Uh, but, and the other, and the other big case he had, poor Mexican guy driving three in the morning. It's one of those 20 car chases, 10 miles an hour smashes into a tree. They T-bone him. They pull the car so he can't get out of the doors. They're screaming directions at him in English and in Spanish. Get the fuck out of the car. Stay where you are. Conflicting, you know? And they circle the car. A guy trips. A cop trips. Takes out the engine block, which causes spontaneous fire. They light this motherfucker up. 58 shots are fired. Here's what's the most fucked up thing. No cop was shot, which is unbelievable because how they didn't shoot each other in a circle around this car. A, so that that's A. Two, only six bullets hit the guy. Only one was a kill shot. A and then two. Oh, yeah. No, no one picks that up. I say, I say half a, uh, I say six of one, two dozen of the other. No one ever corrects me, ever. And I always say A and then two. Thank you for picking that <laughs> up. Nobody. But so the cops, so there was, there was 19 cops or, or 18 cops, nine cops fired. 
and, and, and so no cop is more than 15 feet away. So when people think, I'm going to get a gun to protect my family, here are trained professionals at a not moving target, 15 feet away, they hit him, 9% of the shots fired, hit this guy, only one kill shot. And now here's what sucks. How much did it cost to get this guy? My buddy gets the family several million dollars. That comes out of the school budget. That comes out of the road budget. All these blue live men. And But the worst thing is. Do you know? Sorry. I was just going to say, here in Los Angeles, this will blow people's balls off. They don't realize. And I'm talking about everything in Los Angeles. Everything. Infrastructure. Everything has a budget, right? 54% of our budget here in L.A. goes just to the LAPD. 54%. And the mayor, after... These guys beat black people for months. She even saw my videos. She just gave them another $80 million. Right. And they took it out of, because I saw some of the protests, and, 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 and they took it out of some budget, like some, some, food, some food and school they budget. Did. It was a food program budget. Right. It was for, for, for poor people. So they took it out of that to give it to the police, who have so much money here in L.A. that they have BMW um, bikes. The, yep. the, you know, the cops are all in BMWs. Um, they bought all of these BMWs for cops to use um, that were electric. None of the cops wanted them. So they ended up selling them to the cops for a couple bucks each. And now all these cops are driving electric, you know, BMWs because no one wanted them. Right. It's insane what they do with the money. I mean, come on. Well, it, so- it, it, they get a billion and a half dollars, a billion, right. over a billion dollars and every this, year. It's insane. This is so here, I'm going to finish off with this story, then we're going to get to comedy. Here's the, I didn't get to the really fucked up part about the story. Three, okay, let's hear it. Three of the cops were not cops. They were rich guys from Palace Verde who do ride along with cops. So they're, they're like deputized. Now, are these guys who volunteer for Palace Verde police duty? No. They drive to El Segundo. There aren't brown people you can fuck up and Palace Verde at two in the morning. So the it's three, like a safari. Right. Really. So three of the cops weren't cops. Now here's the other fucked up thing. Fifty nine shots fired. Not one shot was fired from an LAPD revolver. I did not know this. You are allowed to bring your own toys to work. You do not have to. So they all had um, semi like like custom made stuff with extended magazines. So not not one cop fired from an LA revolver three of the nine cops who fired how many of them and and when and when the case went to court you are not allowed to bring into evidence how many times this cop has shot somebody before how many times this cop has you cannot bring their record so if this cop has qualified immunity 100 the worst part so uh you know and my my son who's now 15 uh, about six months ago, we got, we got, I almost said Green Day, Weezer tickets, and I took him to see the Pixies, and now he's starting to get into rap. And I, I'm not a big rap guy, but I wouldn't play certain music around him. Now I feel comfortable of playing, look, Straight Outta Compton is one of the two or three albums that completely changed music, like none other. There's three or four touchstones, the Beatles at JFK, uh, Bay City Rollers. Bay City Rollers. No, seriously. You know, you know, Elvis, Elvis on um on what's his face's show? I see him dancing. Anyways, Beatles, Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan, the Beatles, Nirvana on Saturday Night Live, straight out of Compton. And and we were listening to Fuck the Police recently. And 
I t- it was a teachable moment. I, I said to him, I said, Grayson, here's the worst part about this song. What they're singing about, nothing has fucking changed in 40 years. Not one thing right. that these kids, they're kids. Cube is a fucking they kid. They were kids rapping about it. Kids. They were just kids. And, and the sad part is, is back then, this was a song that they were trying to get banned, you know? And when I listen to it now, I just look at it as poetry. It's just it's street 100%. poetry about how shitty the police were. And, and, and haven't changed a bit. And so when I say I like your comedy, I admire your career, but you, you, and I, you, you, there's no reason you're doing this. Your wife is uh, – look, I'm conflicted. I admire I you like being out wife, there. But I will say this. Most people don't realize this. My daughter is mixed, but that's not why I do it because police don't just go after black people. You know, so right. people could – even if my daughter was very dark, that still wouldn't be the only reason. I'm doing it because I live in this city and I love my city. Right. And I feel like in smaller towns, they probably have good police. Not, not always, but, but probably because, you know, it's a smaller town. But in somewhere like this where you have, you know, uh, uh, immunity and, you, and people aren't going to even know who you are and they don't know your address. Like we live in a city of what, I don't know how many millions of people live here, but it's different than a small town. So when I say I, I'm mad at the police, I am mostly talking about big city police. And here's why. No matter how good you think your wife, your husband, your daughter, whoever works for the LAPD is, if they see something that they didn't report, they see another cop act illegal um, or write out a report or, you know, do something illegal to someone else and they. Oh, oh we lost him. Stand by. We're experiencing some technical difficulties, but we'll return to the regular programming soon. And do we have the My audio? Uh, I think the man tapped into the feed. I think the no man. No shit, man. Someone, you know. someone shut us down. Well, you know what? All you I was know. going to say yeah. is when you, uh, this is the, the phrase I used in 2020. When you have, um, 20 bad cops and 2,000 good cops protecting them, you actually have 2020 bad cops. Right. It's true. Nope. It's the it's old. The fact. And, 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 you know, they say it in the song, don't let it be a black and a white one, black police standing up for the white cop. You know I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter. It blue, the, the blue line thing runs, runs deeper, but you don't only do that. You, I mean, the, the guy, David, and I don't think you found him yet. The work you've done to help find, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a guy in your neighborhood who you're a great relationship, who's unhoused and the sure. national and it, outreach. So there's an unhoused man that lived across the street from me for over 10 years years that I fed almost every day and the poor guy his brain doesn't quite work right that's why he can't find his way home and he got sick and they took him to the hospital and it's not like they give him a a ride home they let him out and he doesn't know where he lives you know but he had built this beautiful shelter that was incredible actually he could hold it up and walk with it all day like a janitor's cart and he would clean up the neighborhood all day but more than that he was just a good man that no one like uh, no one wants homeless people in your neighborhood. They don't. They, you know, they're going to scream. They're going to break into something. They're going to steal. Not this guy. He's been there forever. And any time the police ever came, neighbors ran out to his defense. Um, and I appreciate you saying all this. And, and there's one point that you said earlier that I want to touch on. You said, I do this even knowing that it will affect my work as a comedian. And which is strange to me. 
because when you think about, oh, I just watched Injustice and I filmed it, why would anyone be mad at me over that? But there are people, there are comedy club bookers out there who for some reason took offense to me standing up to Injustice and thought, man, I better just not book him anymore because, you know, he's crazy. But what's funny is I don't even bring politics to the stage and it's not because no. I don't want to. It's just that it's, it's, I don't like to, I don't, it's not my, it's not part of my act. You know what I mean? You, you're an um, evergreen comic. Your, your stuff, you can tell it now. You can tell it in six months. You can tell it in a couple of years. Right. You know, it, my my album, I've never had to say to people, you know, don't listen to it. It's old because there's no, nothing on it saying, you know, about a president or anything, you know, it's just. Well, the weird so, thing about the album, there's nothing offensive on it, but I thought it was weird you recorded it in blackface. And that's why I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, I know they can't see it, but no, I mean, that's that. <laughs> but, but it is. I mean, people don't want to take a stand because it's like, yeah, there's 40% of the people now, 40 to 45% of those people, if are just batshit crazy and they're out there. So I admire that. But now let's talk about your career, if we, if we may, because <laughs> it is comedy. Okay. One of the other and things. Let me say one thing so that people don't feel too bad. You know, I've been a comedian for 36 years, and if this affects my career, I don't care because I also am a manager now, and I'm more interested in other people's careers than my own. Right. So I don't want anyone to feel bad. I'm well, that, that, that's, that's the first thing I want to touch on. Not only do you manage people, um, for a few years, I've been following it. I'm not, a, I haven't been a social media guy until Joe and I started this podcast. And then, you know, he ran the Twitter page, but now I'm on Instagram. You run and I forward it on both Twitter and I tell all my comic friends here, I put it out there. You are running a free master's class with your comedy oh, tips. You. That's very nice. You're up to 250? 250. 250. Now, I preface it by saying you have to listen to it, whether you're in the bathtub filming it or in your car, you know, what you put out there. And, and, and we've talked about this. One of the things that uh, you, you and I talked about, Dante, is something will happen with you, with one of your comics on the road. And you're like, shit, I haven't put this out there yet. And they're not public. They're public service announcements, but there's all, hey, it, it ranges from if you want to get rebooked, Go ahead and use any words you want, but if it turns out the club owner has a kid with special needs and you couldn't stop using the R word, don't be mad at me because they won't call you back. Or, hey, Good if one. you're- You know, this week, what happened, that's a great example. Someone said to me, Dante, here's a joke. Do you like it? Because, you know, there's a couple of comics that just send me their jokes and say, can you approve it and tell me if it's good or not? And I do it for free just because, you know, whatever. I like comedians. And the guy was telling a cancer joke. And so I realized the same advice I gave him, I better give to the world. I said, you don't want to do jokes about cancer or rape because people come there to get away from their problems. And if you talk about cancer or rape in your act, it's going to take them out of it. Because what if mom has cancer? And the whole reason she's that, you know, that this kid is at the place is to forget that mom has cancer and to laugh for a couple hours. And you just took them back to their, their sad place. So. You know, it's it's just tips and tricks like that. You know well, what I mean? Not, cut the it joke that I wrote for you about raping a tumor. Not, that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's coming out of the bit. No, I mean. You know, it, like, you can obviously say the word. You can say, like, look at this fucking ass cancer over here. My right. joke will rape him in the fucking dumpster. No one's going to get offended by that. But if you talk about rape or cancer, it might be different. You know what I mean? No, and and, and I like some of the things. Look, uh, you know, I'm going to throw some of the, some of the ones that I really like. 
you, you're doing a road show, you know, figure out the music you're going to listen to on the way. It's like, if it's, if it's a few open mic comics from Boston who are going to go to New York cause they got a booking together, who's going to drive, who's going to pay for gas, figure all that out. And if there's a girl in the car, yeah, you might, she might be one of the guys, but leave the dick jokes aside. Like, like, Oh, it's your turn to drive, but I'll drive for you. If you blow me, it's like, huh? And everyone's going to laugh and she's going to laugh because it's awkward and she can't, but you just, you just dehumanize this person. It's, it's tips ranging from how to deal with club owners, how to structure a joke. Hey, the, the, the promoter didn't put your name on the flyer. Boo fucking who? Make your own flyer and put that out there. I mean, all right. these tips. And every time I come across one, because I'm at that stage now where I'm getting to open for for known Boston, New England comics. And, and it's Good. great. And, uh, you know, we, we, we ha- we've had some real legendary Boston comics on the podcast in the last couple of months. And I'm selfishly doing it because each one is a master's class for me. And it's, it's I an- love I love Boston comics. Lenny oh. Clark is one of my favorites out that way. Bob Marley's a great I mean, there's so many great comics out that way. I'm not even naming all of them. And the, and the scene is great, but there's so many. There, in my little, oh, I'm in a city of about 120. A uh, half hour away, there's a city in Manchester, New Hampshire, about 150. There's three scenes going alongside of Boston, but within an hour radius anyway, and there's 200 people I do this with on a regular basis. And every time I see one of your tips, I'm like, guys, you got to watch this stuff. And whether, because you're giving advice, whether, like I said, you had this great tip for established people where you had a, a booker call you and said, I just dealt with this manager. He sent me three people. I loved one of them, but the other two weren't right for me at this time. So I said, let me book the second comedian of the three you sent me. And that agent called and said, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. These other two guys are great. So the agent canceled everybody. That's advice for somebody who's a middler or a headliner to know who you're going to work with, you know, those are the tips that right. you give Why out. Why would you ever start a fight with the person you're asking for money from? <laughs> right. And, and so your tips range from, hey, if this is your first open mic or, hey, you're a headliner, just make sure your manager isn't a piece of shit, you know? Um, so, and, and the fact, right. that, and, and now how much do you get paid right. each time you put those 36 years of experience out there in post? Zero. I get zero. Okay. Same with the police videos. I've never okay. made a dime off of either. Right. I don't try to make money off of it, though. I don't want to. But if you add those two together now, wait, hold on. Let me do the math. Zero. No, you got to carry the one. Carry, okay. See, that's what I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're just doing, and no, and it's great. And it's like, but you're surrounded by good people. You manage good people. You're married to somebody who's very supportive. And now how, I got to ask, two comics under one roof. Is it the funniest place or is it, is it, are you guys the most normal people in the world? Both, both. I think, <laughs> it, it, I think if a civilian came to our house, they would think that we were funny and wild and whatever. But to us, we're just normal. It's not like we're trying to make each other laugh, but we do all day long. My wife is hilarious. It, you know, it, I can come to do the right thing and she'll just look at me and go, no, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, you're hilarious. <laughs> you know she's a weirdo but in a good way like she's perfect to me i i i love here's here's the, here's why i love being married to a comedian for years it brought in double money that was one of the best parts and i got to travel with my best friend i hated leaving my ex-wife when i had to go on the road and now i get to travel with my wife all over the world plus we do those uso tours as you know so 
not only did we, you know, go to every state together, we've been to every, you know, uh, like 15, 16, 17, 18, 20 countries together. I don't know. That's multiple I mean, times. And, and, and you guys are a production team. You know, you, you have, you have yeah. all kinds so of stuff. Our company, we, yeah, we make movies and TV shows. We have a horror movie coming out this year that my wife and I wrote and directed. It's called House of Karma. We have, um, I might release uh, this year, it could be next year, a documentary about the LAPD. I'm just, oh. I don't have a date yet for that. Um, but we did make a big, um, we are making a big um, Ron Jeremy documentary at the moment <sighs> because he was also one of our clients, but then he went to jail. So I had to drop him and um, basically say to the world and him, I said, if he did this, I hope he rots in jail. You know, oh. if he didn't, I hope he's innocent. But I... I believe he probably did whatever he's accused of. Not that I ever saw it, but because, you know, I don't know how many women were involved in this lawsuit against him, but let's say there's 18. Not one of them wanted money from him. They all wanted let's him to go to jail. Let's separate the art from the artist. And this is what the documentary <laughs> should focus on. The oeuvre of Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Joe, you are like the silent funny that comes in every couple of minutes, and I love it. I love so everything I, about you, buddy. So, oh. me, I'm also a timer. I want to make sure that we get you out on, <laughs> on, on time because Jacques will talk your ear off. What? How, how do, I, 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 I did, I, it's funny. I did my first big showcase uh, a couple months ago. I wrote 95% of it. Joe punched up 5% of it. I play it back the next day. Yeah, guess what got all the laughs? You know, that mother. Back to Dante. <laughs> So, so yeah, so you got, I mean, and, and, and that's a recipe, you know, for disastrous success, working with your significant other, who's your best friend, because production is tough, you know, traveling is, but guess is what? tough. We work well together. I mean, even writing, we are good writers together. We are, the reason people like to hire us, especially for lower budget movies is we can write a movie in a week because we can come up with a concept. We know how many scenes it has to be. We know, you know, movie structure. And so I can say, I'm going to write the first one while you're writing the second one. In the first one, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to end here. So she knows where to take over. We read those two back to back. If there's anything crazy that you know overlaps, we get rid of it. And then we move on to scene number three and four. And so we can write a movie very, very quickly that way. So I have a bunch of friends, and and one of them, like you, you know, your wife Rebecca had posted there. I think you guys were looking for UPM or something, and a really yeah, good probably. and a really good friend of mine. He's now the UPM on. It doesn't matter show. And I said, hey, they're looking. I think they sent you somebody, and it's funny. He before he got this network gig he's on now, he was in the Hallmark world where he made two or three, three or four of these. Is there a hallmark for these? Because are these are the 100, 150 budget things that you're doing? And, and what, whatever your space is, because I know he does these hallmark ones that, you know, they're they're around 150-ish. They're eight-day productions. Yeah, hallmark movies are cheap. Hallmark movies are cheap. They're they, cheap. They'll yeah. pay a writer $1,000 to write a hallmark movie. I'm not kidding. No. The, you, you get The formula is you have to have one sitcom soap opera star and by star the fourth build person on right the that's, that's loose. right yeah yeah i mean it's like um the last starfighter you know from the 80s might be the star of a hallmark movie or no the buddy of the last starfire is right. the guy one who's of the daughters <laughs> from just the 10 of us <laughs> not charles in charge his no. friend no the, the, the women she was in he was in charge of yeah now, well, he, yeah exactly <laughs> Is, exactly. there an, is there an Speaking outlet? Of Charles in charge. We may have different politics, but a few days ago, 
friend of mine said, uh, I know you have a turtle rescue, Dante. Can you take in some turtles? I have a friend moving to Florida. Next thing I know, um, Scott Bale's at my house delivering two turtles. Wait, is he, was he the one giving up the turtles? He was giving up the turtles, yeah. My friend just was like, hey, I have a friend moving to Florida. You want a couple more turtles for your rescue? I'm like, I don't want them, but I'll take them. Well, were the first things so that sweet, the, by the way. Were, His were turtles the first could things, not be nicer. The, were the first things that the turtles say, uh, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was warned before he came over that we are on different uh, sides of the you know political spectrum. So but it doesn't mean you have to be enemies with people. You know no, what I mean? Like, oh, look. I, I was on a podcast where a guy who had been my friend for years um, moved to Florida, became a, a big conservative. And his big thing is he doesn't tell you when he's going to call you for the podcast. He'll just call you during the podcast and say, hey, you're on my podcast. I want to dump a bunch of questions on you because you're a liberal and blah, blah, blah. So he does this to me, right? It's an hour-long podcast. He thinks he's going to get me. And I answered all the questions just like I did with you. And by the end, he goes, Dante, I thought I was going to get you. Even my partner now keeps saying, I really like this guy, and I like how reasonable he is. He's like, I don't think we've disagreed once. How is this possible? You know, And I, I don't know how it's possible because I think most people do agree on pretty much everything unless you're insane. Unless you think JFK is coming back in a short Mexican, we have nothing to talk about. Do you, you know, do you know do, I, I'll, I'll ask this one question. Do you know anybody who believes – there should be machine guns available to 18-year-olds without background checks. Have you ever met somebody who's like – Yeah, I bet I have. I bet I have. I bet because I have. Because 90% why, of people don't. I grew up don't. in a small town called Ridgecrest. Okay. And Ridgecrest is basically Kid Rock and his uh, family took over. I mean it's not him, but it's like that's the right, town right. that I but, grew up but, in. But most people agree. 90% of people who are in the NRA don't want – no background checks because it makes anyways. No, so no, but I'm with you. You're right. Everyone wants the same thing, but they don't admit it. And politicians will never admit it when they're being paid to say the opposite. I mean, it's no, we're we're living in the craziest of times. My friend, I think the 1960s were probably crazier because no one's being assassinated, but we also lived through um, a pandemic, (laughs) which, which no one else had lived through in the sixties, which is also pretty crazy and did change us. People changed during the pandemic. Well, scientists became bad guys in the minds of 50%. But I want to stay on the horror stuff for a second. Is there a hallmark outlet for these horror movies? You do a horror movie. What do we do with it when it's done? Okay, so here's what I do. I'll be, I'll be very honest with you. We have a great um, plan. We, we never make a movie unless we know it's sold. So we don't make a movie and then take it to festivals or anything like that. Let's say you come to me and you say, I have $150,000. I want to make a movie. I'm going to say to you, I don't want to lose your money. So be patient. You and I will get on some phone calls with some distributors. We're going to talk to those distributors and say to them, hey, in a a year, what will you need the most? And they'll say, oh, we need a horror movie. We need a comedy about this. We need a, you know, a war, whatever it is. And we'll say, okay, why don't we write out some treatments and you pick the one you like. We do that. Then we write a script. They approve the script. Now we sign a contract with that distributor. We go out and we film your movie. And then that distributor is probably going to sell it to Showtime or HBO or Amazon. And once it's lived out its life there, then he'll probably place it in 50 places where you can watch, you know, like when you see a movie and you can rent it at 50 right. different places. Or like Shudder. So, but originally it'll find a home at one spot, live out about six months to a year, and then, you know, just be everywhere after that.
You know, it's funny because I, I've been I've been mentored by a great guy. He created Legendary Pictures. He's done thirty huge blockbuster movies. He left the industry because he wanted to make smaller movies. He hated making the big movies. It took six years to make. We make a two million dollar horror movie, and he's in his sixties. He's so crazy successful, but he didn't realize how hard it was to sell a low budget horror. He thought, okay, well, instead of doing the next Pacific Rim or three hundred for. $200 million and taking eight years to do it. I miss making movies. I miss the writing and turning it out and production. I want to make a movie a year. And so we, we, we went, we made this movie and finally, you know, it had a couple names in it. It finally sells. It was on Netflix, but it took three years to sell it after making it because he didn't understand how that part of the industry worked. So you figured that Correct. part out. And also, I'm not sure how much profit he'll make because I don't know how much he made it for, but, but let me tell you the sweet spot in case there's any filmmakers out there. So I personally, I make movies under 500,000. Every movie I've ever made is under 500,000. I recommend you make movies under 500,000 or over 20 million. If That's you it. do it anywhere else in that other spot, you're not going to make a dime. Here's why. Let's say you make a million dollar movie and I make a $200,000 movie and it's going to sell for 600,000 and so is yours. You just lost 400,000. Right. And I just gained 400,000. You know what I mean? Like what, no, and, and he yeah. le he learned that. He here's a guy who made 30 blockbusters who learned that the hard way. You know. Yeah, because he, they're not going to pay more just cuz you paid more, right. you know? And if you make a 2 million dollar movie, it's not going to show up in theaters. So now you've got a 2 million dollar movie that's going to sell as much as my $500,000 movie. And, and there's a no there, one cares is that, that market. No, they they right. don't. The, the only way they'll pay extra is if it has some giant stars in it that Stupid they know star. will get all the extra attention. So, so, uh, the, uh, and and there's one more thing I've called you out before, and now I'm going to call you out publicly. You give out this Good. tip. You give out this tip. I, I, you didn't say in your tip, and I think it was tip 230, you didn't say, Jock, you got to lose weight because nobody wants to see a fat fucking comic. But you said, hey. Oh, shit. Did I say this? You, no. Well, you kind of said it. I took it like that. But at the same time, you then turn around and you post your daughter's cookies that I gained three pounds looking at. How do, how do you wrestle with telling people like me, you got to get in shape, Jock, if you're going to be on stage? And then – Stuff cookies that look amazing down my I'm throat. very sorry about all of this. <laughs> so my daughter's cookies are insane. She's a, a, a cookie insanity woman. But I will say this. I don't think that the tip was to, to not be fat. I think the tip <laughs> was to, because you're not fat. The tip was to remember that your body is a tool and that yep. if you want it to last the next 60 years since yeah. there's no retirement age, you better take good care of it. But it's true. If you're if you're gray, it, it, well, if you're established and you're gray, look, I, I, uh, Jim Gaffigan's doing just fine. Jim Gaffigan can be gray and a few pounds overweight. But if you're coming up the ranks and you're doing a Knights of Columbus thing and you're, you know, you got to turn sideways to get through the door and you got the grays, your, your tip was maybe clean up a little, you, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, look, even with the grays, what, why I even brought that up was I noticed a lot of comics went gray after COVID, which was an odd thing for industry people because. In this industry, you always want to be as young as possible because, be honest, when you go to a comedy club, if you see a white-haired guy or a young comic, which club are you going to go to? Right. You know what I mean? 
And so that's the advice I'm giving people is remember that when you were in your 20s and 30s going to a comedy club, did you want to go see the gray-haired guy or the dark-haired guy? Right, right. No, I I, I am not a fan of Steve Martin whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, I I would look and say, okay, okay, at least he's not Portuguese. I'll go see him. And Joe's Portuguese. So I'm taking – no, because you say that tip and I think, oh, man, I got gray in my beard, so I stopped going to the old age house and eating out women. So I stopped going to the old age house and eating out women, although – they were, look, you haven't had a, you haven't lived. You've had a gum job. They are, they are very, very. No, so those tips. Uh, I mean, seriously, I, I, I've told everybody follow you for the social justice stuff. If you want to be a comic, or if you want to be in production, the tips that you're giving out are essentially a master's class and. And they're fantastic, and I repost them. And and seriously, if it's just for an audience of one, you've reached me. I've been uh, Joe and I did a lot of stand up in the '90s. I, you know, life. I'm doing it again as my midlife crisis. But your tips have elevated where I am because we're both very good friends. Dante and I share the friend Sally Mullins. I don't know if I love somebody more in this industry than her. You feel the who, same. Who? Way. She is so great, and she's okay. one of my clients. And she's. If you guys don't know who she is, check out her Amazon special. She has a special on Amazon. Her her name is Sally Mullins. She's so unique and so kind and so funny and just a perfect human being and so open. Like the reason I love her is she doesn't care. She just tells it like it is and moves on. And she's so – and she's a – She's a great comic, and, and and we were just talking about this on the last podcast with Joe. She's a great host, and a lot of good comics are not good hosts. You know, Correct. she she does. You can hire her for a headline or that, but because of your tips and her mentoring, when I I just sent her a big fifteen minute showcase a couple weeks ago. Two things. She came back with a joke by joke analysis of why she liked this work or what to think about for the next step. And we talked about between what she's helped me with and with your what your tips have put out there. I've 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 towards my 10,000 hours. I think you saved me 3000 of the 10,000 hours I have to put in from those tips. And I mean that I'm dead serious between you and Sally. I shouldn't be getting the shows I'm getting now, but it's because of how I compose myself on stage and this with your tips and her breaking my stuff down. Um, so, so we are going to let you go. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Is there anything I'm coming out in a couple of weeks? I'm there on the 28th through the, through the 10th. Sally got me. We're uh, hanging out. Yes. Uh, cause, cause Sally got me the dragonfly on the ninth and a Tayo comedy on the 29th and, and, and whether we walk a beat together and, and film something or just talk, um, I am so looking forward to it. Thank you for what you put into the world. Anything you want, buddy. We'll hang out. Um, so yeah, let me just promote my movie house of karma. I don't know when it's coming out yet. And then, um, the Ron Jeremy documentary is called the harder they fall. We have two stand-up specials coming out this year called Killer Comics Unlimited, where me and my wife post one each, and it's all young, up-and-coming comics. And then lastly, um, my social is Dante, D-A-N-T-E, The Comic. Dante The Comic on TikTok. I'm Dante The Comic, too, because the Chinese got mad at me for being so rude to the police. Hmm. So they took away my million followers or whatever I had, and then... I had to start over, but I'm doing okay. And your daughter's cookies can be found in your tummy, apparently. Yes. So those are called <laughs> semi-sweet bakery. Um, 
she's uh, in school, so she's doing less of it, but uh, I'm sure if she gets an order, she'll definitely do it. Semi-sweet bakery. Check it out. They have the cookies. I don't even, I don't even like cookies, and they are stupid good. Stupid good. I mean, I don't even know how to, like, she has one that tastes like chocolate Pop-Tart. Ooh. You know, you know the Pop-Tarts have um, um, corn syrup in them? Now I can't eat them anymore. My wife just told me that this week. I don't eat corn syrup anymore because I, that's the only way I lost weight was stopping eating all the fucking corn syrup. I just uh, had a bottle of corn syrup just now. <laughs> I mean, well, I that's coming off the condiment table. You know, the condiment thing. No, it is great. I know. But, but Dante, thank you for putting the comedy in the world. Thank you for the social justice. Uh, thank you for thank coming you on for our crowd. Thank you on and saying all that. Oh. Thank you both. Thank you both. And thanks, Joe, for making me laugh. Oh, you're my pleasure. I mean, somebody's got to do it around this fucking podcast. <laughs> I know. It's be me. Jacques with the social justice and the me and the eh, whatever. But no, I thank- know. It, it just gets to be too much. So um, your viewers can't see, but I'm sitting in a famous, um, uh, uh, what is it called? Cemetery right now. And Judy Garland's right behind me. Charlie Chaplin is here. Oh. I just came here because of the uh, shade so that I could be on your show because I was driving and. Thank you I so much. I, don't know. I thought I would tell everybody because you heard screaming and stuff while we were doing this. <laughs> the cool part is that was a peacock I saw hanging out. Oh, oh, that that, that no, that that's a famous cemetery. That is a very very and it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah, Hollywood Forever Cemetery, right by Paramount Studios. It's so cool. They do drive-in movies there. They do movies. They do. I love yeah. it. You come sit on the grass and just hang out. I love it. That's not Every disrespectful weekend. at all to the dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not on their like tombs. It's somewhere else. It's on a grassy area. Well, they they don't worry. They move the tombstones when they do it. You move oh, the okay. tombstones, but you didn't move the bodies. That's okay. Eddie, yeah, I know. Hold your guys. Is that it? Hold your guys. Yep, that's, that's it. it. That's it right there. Dante Go take over the rest of the industry. You have it. I will see you in a couple weeks, and you are a great person. Thank you, Dante. Hey, guys. It's Dante with another Dante's Comedy Tips. Today, I want to talk to you guys about pop culture. So, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are the keepers of pop culture. It's your job to keep up with pop culture. Whether you use it in your act or not, it's important that you know the music of today, that you know the movies of today, TV shows of today, that you're going to live concerts of other people and other comedians and uh, politics you're keeping up with. Now, it doesn't mean you have to use it in your act. I rarely use topical jokes in my act, and here's why. I like jokes I can use for 10 years, not ones I have for a month. Now, there's other guys that are more similar to like a late night talk show host. Um, There's a guy in town who everyone loves, including myself, named Fraser Smith here in LA. And this guy does topical jokes all the time and he's incredible. Um, But that's just not for everybody because that's writing every day. And um, as a road comic, I like to perfect the jokes rather than get rid of them in a month. And so uh, this whole point is not to say whether to do that or not. Do that or don't. I don't care if you have political jokes or topical humor. What I'm trying to let you know is we are important to the world. We are the ones who help pop culture change. We're the ones who helped get a black president elected and helped the world understand that gay marriage wouldn't destroy everything. We present that to the world and then the world goes, oh, well, comedians are saying it. It's an important job we have, you guys. 
take it serious and keep up with pop, pop culture, okay? Pop culture, too. That was a Freudian slip. Oh, click. Oh, click.
I've fucked up several times. <laughs>